0: Dick Foth again, and I'm in the house, and I'm saying good morning. I don't know where you are and what time of the day this is, but it is morning here, and it's a brisk morning, and that's the reason I'm in the house and not on the road. (laughs) It is four degrees as I speak here in northern Colorado, and it's going to be minus eight tonight, so if it's all the same to you, I'm hunkered down by the fire. I, I don't have a cup of hot chocolate yet, but who knows before the day is out. I was thinking the other day about circumstances, like winter in and of itself is a circumstance that I think can be restrictive. I mean, unless you're a skier or ice fisherman or snowshoer or something like that. And here we are the week of February the 2nd. It's not that date as I speak, but in a couple of days it will be. And winter is so restrictive, apparently, that we sort of get down with watching or even celebrating a rodent. Yes, they call them groundhogs. They're part of the rodent uh, slash squirrel family, I understand, and so we have this day called Groundhog Day on February the 2nd. Uh, The groundhog has a lot of names. Uh, It can be a chuck or a woodshock or a ground pig Whistlepig, Whistler, how about Thickwood Badger, Marmot, Monax, I love this one, Weenusk, Red Monk, and finally, a Land Beaver. There is a place in the United States of America that celebrates Groundhog Day big time. Many of you have heard of it. It's called Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. About 6,000 residents in the town, and it's situated 85 miles northeast of Pittsburgh. Every February 2nd since 1887, Punxsutawney Phil, a local groundhog in Pennsylvania, has made his weather prediction. Now, we need to understand that there must have been scores and scores and scores of Punxsutawney Phil's because these little critters, I think, have a three- to six-year lifespan on average. So anyway, every February 2nd since 1887, Punxsutawney Phil uh, emerges from his temporary home on Gobbler's Knob, located in a rural area about two miles southeast of the town. Folks have gathered, it's a big deal. It's a celebrative moment in an otherwise restrictive time. If it's sunny and Phil sees his shadow, it's said he'll see six more weeks of winter. If it's cloudy and he doesn't see a shadow, It's said to mean in early spring. Uh, I've read that Phil's North America's most famous weather predictor. But this idea goes way back beyond that, hundreds of years. The thing I like about February 2nd, I have two reasons actually for why I like February 2nd. One is that it's halfway through winter, and that's good. That makes it feel less restrictive. But the big one is that Erica, our eldest child, was born on that day. She's now the mother of four and the grandmother of four. Let's not dwell on that, because I start feeling old. (laughs) So, back to Punxsutawney Phil. What's the big deal with Punxsutawney Phil? Well, he comes out to apparently assess his circumstances. I have a lot of experience with assessing circumstances. Sometimes, if circumstances aren't great, if I'm not careful, I let them win. I love that little exchange where somebody said to another person, how are you doing, John? He said, pretty good, under the circumstances. And the guy retorted, what are you doing under there? Well, what is a circumstance? Merriam-Webster definition is, a circumstance is a factor, event that must be considered along with another fact or event or a detail in a chain of events, or conditions at a certain time and place, like Gobbler's Knob, Pennsylvania. All of us have circumstances, don't we? So the question is, since all of us face circumstances, are surrounded by circumstances, how do we understand them, deal with them, work through them, or adjust to them, or conquer them? My days are certainly touched, affected, shaped by my circumstances. My dream is not to be defeated by my circumstances. I love this verse that where Paul, 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul, wrote to a congregation in uh, Northern Greece, Macedonia, I think, specifically is where it was. It's called Thessaloniki today. And he writes to these folks who have gone through challenging circumstances and find themselves in challenging circumstances. They're under the thumb of the Roman government, a foreign power. They're taxed, They're all kinds of things that go on. And this is what he says to them about circumstances Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Wow, let me me read that one again. Listen to those verbs. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Boy, sometimes that's hard. I mean, stuff comes out of left field, doesn't it? There are tragedies, there are moments in time that are totally unexpected and we have no way really of predicting what's coming around the next bend. So get ready for circumstances that were not planned, okay? How about grief that comes from a loss? Any kind of loss. I mean, it could be the loss of employment or money or family. It can be the death of a person. It can be the death of a dream, and it can happen to anybody, any place. It can happen to the most gifted people, the most wealthy people, the highest profile people, or the less of all of those. Back in a moment. My dear friend Mark Batterson lives in Washington, DC with his wife, Laura. Mark is an author, among other things. He's written, I think it's 18 books, maybe a bit more than that. Since he was 35, he's now in his early 50s. He wrote a book a couple of years back that I really gravitate to. It's called Win the Day, Seven Daily Habits to Help You Stress Less and Accomplish More. I just want to read a little bit of it to you, just, just a few thoughts from it. These aren't all the thoughts on the page, but it's Foth's distillation, if you will. He has a, a chapter, a section in there called Kiss the Wave, and he talks about a friend who had migraines for five years and his, his relief moments were just few and far between and uh, just debilitating. Gone to lots of specialists, And Mark said, I asked him how he's managed the pain and the emotions that go with it. He said, I've learned to kiss the wave. I must have given him a quizzical look. So my friend explained, he was quoting Charles Spurgeon and we'll come to him in a moment. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me back against the rock of ages. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Kissing the wave doesn't mean we don't experience storms or get seasick during them. What it means is that when circumstances come up that we can't handle or navigate or get around easily, we need to accept them. You can't move past the pain if you ignore it or hide it or deny it. He goes on to talk about things that he and his wife, Laura, have experienced. And I was there years ago when he went through a near-death experience with uh, that required great surgery and things like that. And then more recently, Laura, his wife, experienced breast cancer and went through a whole series of protocols for a long time. And she's doing well now, and we're grateful for that. But kissing the wave is confessing what's wrong, in this case, cancer, he says of Laura, but it's also professing what's right, God's healing power. For Laura, the healing process began with a brave question. She stumbled across while reading a poem about illness. What have you come, speaking to God, what have you come to teach me? When we find, or the circumstance, maybe she's speaking to the circumstance. When we find ourselves in difficult situations, we get so focused on getting out of them that we failed to get anything out of them. And it puts us in the space of repeating that thing. So, if you want to win the day, Batterson says, you've got to kiss the wave. The mid-1800s were the grand days, if we can say it that way, of the British Empire. That phrase, the sun never sets, on the British Empire because of all of its tentacles and colonies and all of that. On October 19th, 1856, Charles Spurgeon, young man, was preaching to 10,000 people in London's Surrey Gardens Music Hall when someone yelled, fire! It was pure pandemonium. Those trying to get into the building blocked those trying to get out, and the balcony collapsed beneath the stampede, and by the time the commotion was quelled, seven people had died and 28 were seriously injured. He he came to a place, Charles Spurgeon, where he could hardly preach following that, and for quite some time, the story goes on, the very sight of a Bible caused Charles Spurgeon to cry. When he finally stepped back into the pulpit where he had last preached, painful emotions flooded his soul and they never went away. 25 years after the Surrey Hall disaster, Spurgeon was speaking to a gathering of the Baptist Union when something about the setting triggered a flashback that left him speechless for many minutes. Fascinating thing about this is that at the time of the fire, Charles Spurgeon was only 22 years old. He was the newly installed pastor of what would become the largest church in the world, Metropolitan Tabernacle. Plus, he was 10 months married with twin boys who were days old. Now, few people, have advanced the kingdom of God quite like Charles Spurgeon. Along with pastoring the largest church in the world, he wrote 150 books, started a college, and led 66 charities. (laughs) Mark, sort of on the backstroke says, makes me wonder what he did during all his spare time. But despite all his successes, Spurgeon was marked by melancholy. He would have severe bouts of depression. My spirits were sunken so low that I could weep by the hour like a child, he says. And yet I knew not what I wept for. (laughs) Grief is depression in proportion to circumstance, said Dr. Andrew Solomon. It's a good thing. It's a God thing. God is the one who created us with tear ducts, but emotions like grief can be inflated or deflated just like our memories. So go ahead. In this moment of time, if you're grieving, do that. It's one way we kiss the wave. If you try to shortcut it, it will shortcut your soul. I like the last line in this paragraph that my friend Mark writes. The good news? We don't grieve as those who have no hope. Winter, physical winter, tends to be a set of circumstances that I don't like. But just around the corner, there's new life. There's spring. Out of death is resurrection. Out of those brown leaves that hang down or or skitter across the streets, There is life coming. Let me say it again. What Paul, who had gone through tons of circumstances, wrote, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That last phrase is interesting. What's in the will of God in Christ Jesus for you? I submit it's that we're not to rejoice and pray and give thanks for all circumstances. I think the emphasis is on the verbs. How do we kiss the waves? We rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. For those three things, rejoicing, praying, thanking, is the will of God for me. Don't stop rejoicing, don't stop praying. Give thanks in. That's it for now, Dick Foth, on the way out this nippy day. We pray you have a grand week, and uh, we'll see you next time, God bless.